I'm tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. Welcome so to. Tell me why you mad even. Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, possible hero, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, and we are coming to you the Monday after one of the best performances we have seen in the TD Garden in a while, Jay I mean, you were there in person. What is it like to be able to feast your eyes and just watch a legend at work like the amazing Sladek perform at halftime? What is that like uh, to be there in person? <laughs> I actually didn't watch the, what? the amazing you missed Sladek. The Sladek? Even, though, <laughs> even though I'm a huge fan, I was uh, I, I was working. I had, I had to, honestly, I had to take a piss at halftime. And I... Uh, I just miss Ledeck, man, which is sad because he's a lot better than the Red Panda. But anyway, Jason Tatum didn't, <laughs> didn't risk his life quite like the amazing Sledek. It's He didn't stand on top of chairs, you know, with on one hand. But he did score. He euphorically. Kevin Durant. <laughs> yeah. That, that one move he had in the fourth quarter was basically – the equivalent of what the amazing Sadek does. Like you just don't know how he survived the double team. And somehow I think he lost his dribble. Like, I don't think that was planned. Oh no. I think it was just a great recovery. Yeah. Like, like he did not mean to put the ball out there between those two guys and then yank it back. And then just big boy, Nick Claxton at the rim, but he did. (laughs) And he made it work. And he made just just about everything work. That was, I mean, that was probably the most impressive performance of his career. Maybe the the game against the Nets in the playoffs last season. But I don't, I don't know if even like the sixty point performance against the Spurs compares because that game, like he wasn't really great in the first half, and obviously he wasn't going to get against Kevin Durant. So, yeah, it might have been the best game of his career. I don't know. He he's had a lot of really great games. So. <laughs> it was it was damn impressive, and it's just they had an answer for absolutely everything. Um, I think it was like I think it was, it's absolutely recency bias. Hand up, recency bias. But I think it's absolutely Tatum's best game of his career. Like I, even though like the fifty points last year was in the playoffs. The the stakes of this game felt higher just because it was so obvious that the Nets were going to like just walk away with that series. This was like a big game and a big test for the Celtics. And Durant had as like a great game of his own scoring 37 points. Uh, but it was just impressive. I think it was a, it was a total team victory. And I think the, the play at the end, it just felt like Tatum was it, like, sometimes he just gets locked in and he's scoring and, it's just like he's going to try and get a shot up no matter what. And I think in the Spurs game and in, in that Nets game last year in the playoffs, it was uh, like he was the only option. Here, I th- it feels like he was making the right reads, making the right play. And I think like the big 
play at the end of the game where he passed to Smart, who made another good pass to Jalen Brown, who knocked down the three at the end of the shot clock, was like uh, evident of this. It was just like making – they were showing Tatum a lot of attention, and it felt like he was making the right decision every time and then still managed to score 54 points, if that's somehow possible. Like he was unselfishly scored 54, which I think is a great sign for the Celtics. Yeah, I think – the Celtics also had a great awareness that Tatum was the one who had it going and everybody else was just content to try to set him up on every single possession. Like that fourth quarter, they basically went to him every single time. There was one play Marcus Smart actually ended up shooting a three, like at the end of the shot clock on the possession, but earlier in the possession, he had a wide open three and just passed it up because he wanted to get the ball to Jason Tatum. There were other times when, you know, Jalen Brown and Tatum were running sets together and Jalen was not even considering going to make a play himself. He was just like, we want to get Tatum in a good matchup. So I think there was an awareness and an execution from all of the Celtics that went into the night. And you're right. Like at the end of a 54 point game, when he had, 34 points in the second half, 18 points in the fourth quarter. Tatum was still making the right reads. And and that's the growth that he's had, I would say, especially over the last two months, um, where it doesn't matter what the game is doing. He just kind of makes the right read. And on top of that, like, he also just hit some ridiculous shot. Like, during, during the, end of the third quarter – Celtics fall down by eight, and that was like trouble time. Um, it could have easily gone the other way there. He hits a tough three, step back three. Then he draws a foul, which was like maybe not a foul on Nick Claxton, even though it held up uh, on the review. And and then all of a sudden, the Celtics are within one possession going into the fourth quarter, and it's a game, and they've averted the crisis. And then Tatum was just dominant from there. So I, I thought he was clutch, even in the third quarter, if 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 that makes sense. Like he had some clutch buckets when they were teetering on the edge of of losing um to to keep them from from getting to that place and and to keep the Nets from from gaining hold. And I think the thing that's important is there is no like settling for shots and he kept the pressure on the Nets. I think the Celtics did a good job of like just being the more aggressive team. Um, and it's something that, that like I've noticed, especially um, in this run lately. And I think Marcus Smart has a lot to do with it, but just putting the pressure on uh, the other team's defense, running off makes, like really trying to get downhill. If you look at the fourth quarter where Tatum had 18 points, he only attempted uh, three threes and was actually got to the line eight times. He was very much attacking the basket and, I think that's a problem with – I think it's just like a way you attack the Nets. They have a pretty small team. They were like relying on Nick Claxton a lot, like who's a decent player, but he's just like not an experienced uh, rim protector in any regard. And so the Nets are pretty small. Andre Drummond didn't play at all in that fourth quarter, which I, I'm kind of surprised to see because I thought he had some decent moments, especially on the offensive glass against them. But it felt like the the rim was open, and with how the Celtics were shooting, especially Al Horford shooting a lot of threes and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, 
there was open for Tatum to attack and he just kept attacking. And the Celtics had the Nets in foul trouble pretty much for the entire game. And I thought that was a kind of a huge part of them basically being able to put up 37 points in the fourth quarter because they got to the line 16 times. There were a of fouls early in that game. Like everyone was just picking up fouls. Um, but yeah, the, the, and, and to your point about the Nets defense, like they had Seth Curry legitimately guarding Jalen Brown at the start of the game. Like that, that was just their primary matchup was Seth Curry on Jalen Brown. I mean, good, good, good luck with that. But you know, when, when you have Tatum going like that and when you have the Celtics executing at the level they did to get him the right matchups and to get him in those advantageous situations, they're going to be a problem for a team with weak links in the playoffs. And you see it every year in the playoffs. It kind of devolves into like, not devolves, I guess evolves into let's, let's get our best player, the best matchup possible and go from there. And like, if, if you have a bad defender, Tatum can target you and, and the Celtics, the, the, the amount of different ways they did that, Sometimes, you know, by getting him post-ups at the free throw line, other times by getting him in space against big guys, um, LaMarcus Aldridge, like, good, good, good luck trying to stay in front of a steaming hot Jason Tatum when he's, you know, hell bent on, on getting to the rim. And, and so the Celtics really took advantage of all the weak links that Brooklyn had in a way that that could translate to the playoffs. Obviously Ben Simmons will probably come back at some point and help that Brooklyn defense. Um, But it's going to be hard to have a weak link against the Celtics in the playoffs. If they're that intent on getting the ball to Jason Tatum, and he is that intent on getting good shots for either him or his team. Breaking news. He was just named Eastern conference player of the week. Averaging 40 points, 41.3 points over those three games, six boards, five assists, shooting 52% from the field and 40% from three. He's had a pretty damn good week. Uh, if you just look at like out dueling Trey Young, John Morant, and then Kevin Durant in successive games. The fact that this game was an offensive shootout and one, I think we can take the, the pessimist views. Does it make you kind of question the Celtics' defense a little bit because this is the first time they've gone up against a real star player? Or do you take a more optimist view? It's like now the Celtics have shown that they're not like a one-dimensional team, that like they can have a they can go win a shootout and go toe-to-toe up against one of the best offenses in the league. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think it's important for them to be able to score at that level. Um because their defense isn't always going to have the success it's had most of the last two months. And I think we saw maybe not some of the weaknesses of their defensive strategy, but the way that teams will attack their defensive strategy come the playoffs. Like it seemed like every possession, the Celtics were getting a big switch down to Kyrie or a big switch down to Kevin Durant. And it didn't always go well for the Celtics. Like Al Horford is, is a wizard in space. He's been great. You know, on switches, Robert Williams has been fantastic protecting the paint as a weak side defender. But when you're going up against Kyrie and you're going up against Kevin Durant, like that that's a lot tougher assignment. Um, and 
And even compared to Ja Morant the other night, like the against Ja Morant, the Celtics were able to kind of invite him to where they're more comfortable. You know, like they were totally sagging off him and begging him to go to the paint where they would have all the length and size to to stop him. You can't do that against Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Like they lure you into where you're uncomfortable. And and I thought that was pretty evident from a Celtic standpoint. Like they had a lot of trouble guarding those guys. Um, well, everyone has trouble guarding Kevin Durant because he can shoot with ease. But I thought they did a pretty course, decent course, job. But, on, but not every I, team switches as much as the Celtics do, you know? Yeah. And and so there will be a lot of stress on Horford. Like I could imagine Horford in a fourth quarter of a playoff game just getting targeted every single time. You know, or, or Grant Wood. Not a, or, like, but or don't you don't you feel a little bit comfortable having like obviously Al Horford, you don't want him guarding someone like Kyrie or Trey Young on every single possession. But he like there were some possessions where he held his own on Kyrie and like he did his uh, pretty good on John Morant. I think the Celtics have enough like just defensive skills where I think they're okay with that. And then if you really do are you're just Al Horford's getting abused on the perimeter of possession after possession. Like they can and just not switch every He wasn't like, but by no means getting abused, but like in the, everything goes poorly and it like, they have enough talent and skill. And I feel like they're smart enough on defense, especially Horford where they just could not, they could just stop switching. And it feels like, although we haven't really seen them do it, they pretty like they've stuck pretty much to the switching everything lineup. And maybe that's something they want to experiment with, um, as they head to the playoff run, but I like they don't necessarily have to run that kind of that explicit type of defense. But I agree that's like that. If you're going to attack the Celtics, you put your best player, your best perimeter player, and you try to have them attack Al Horford or Rob Williams. And, 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 and look, we're, we're talking about you know attacking Al Horford or Rob Williams, who are both really good defensive players, and like it's tough to to beat those guys. Like not a lot of guys are going to have success in an ISO against the Celtics because they have those guys, because they have smart defenders everywhere else. Um, and and when you're comparing, like, going one-on-one against Al Horford versus going one-on-one against Seth Curry or LaMarcus Aldridge in space, it's like, okay, like, the Celtics have better defenders there. Um, but I also think, like, the, the Nets attacked that defense in the way that we'll see the Celtics need to hold up when it really matters. So I thought from a matchup standpoint, it was it was a fun game to watch. Um, and maybe, you know, an, an, an illustrative game. Is that even a word? Illustrative? Illustrative? Yeah, I think it's il- illustrative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it illustrated um, how the Celtics will have to defend come playoff time. Um, and so, so that was fun. Ime is funny, man. <laughs> he'll really just load guys up with minutes like Tatum played I think 23 minutes after halftime or 22 and a half or something it was just like they reached a point where they decided that dude's not coming out of this game that dude is going to stay in there and, and win this thing for us and I know he was going but it's a regular season game and and still the Celtics are like yep 41 minutes load him up uh, let, let's 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 do this thing. Well, he did balance that out by only playing Al Horford 30 minutes. We saw a nine or an eight man rotation go to nine. We saw Daniel Tice get a nice little 10 minutes in there. 
Uh, also shocking to see right now. Tatum had 17 free throws attempts. Second on the Celtics was Tice with eight. So he made his minutes felt with a plus 11 in 10 minutes. Just great, uh, moments off the bench, um, from old Danny two blocks who only had one block, unfortunately. Um, Let's go to Michael D. right now, joining us live on the Athletic app. He raised his hand. We can hear what he has to say. Michael, how's it going? Hey, it's going good, fellas. How you guys doing? Doing Doing great, man. Hey, um, my question is, well, my statement is, uh, I like Tatum. I like both of the Jalens. I've been a Celtic fan since the Red Arbach days. Now, you know, they come, they talk about he scored 50, the most 50 point game since Larry and all this good stuff. You're not, he can't take 30 shots a game and have the Celtics win like that. It's not going to happen. The scoring has to be more balanced and we got to get more production, scoring production from the bench. I think our defense is okay, but the scoring has to be more balanced. I think teams will say, hey, if he's going to take 30 shots, let him beat us. He can't do it every night. That's that's probably fair. Um, I mean, not, you're not going to score 50 every night. And and to your point, like I, I do believe that if the Celtics, when the Celtics get to the playoffs, the sh- shooting, scoring, and playmaking around Tatum will be challenged. Uh, and and other teams will be more more willing and more capable of forcing the ball out of his hands. But I think at the same time, you know, Tatum has has really grown at making the right play and lifting up the guys around him. And it, it hasn't. It's not every night that he's going to go out and shoot thirty shots anymore. A lot of the time. You know, he's he's drawing that attention and using it to free up other guys. So I I, I think in the past, you know, that, that might have been more of a worthy concern. But but the way he's playing, the willingness he's had recently to get the ball out of his hands and do it at the right time to the right guy has been very promising. And and he's becoming one of those guys that make the right decision and set their team up with a pretty good look. The vast majority of the time they get the ball and that's huge for the Celtics. Like that is the most important thing for the Celtics probably long-term is that Jason Tatum continues to evolve from, you know, the, the score first, you know, super talented guy to a guy who commands every possession and gets the right guys the ball at the right times and really sets things up for everybody. And I think he's doing that. Um, and, I also don't think he and, like really forced shots down the end. It wasn't like it was him taking contested twos. He took so a couple contested threes in the third quarter that was just like, and he made them and it was like, oh, wow, that's, he might go for a big number tonight. But especially late when they're like, Bucket for bucket, the game was tied. I mean, it was tied with like, what, like three minutes left? It was, it was a very close game. And it wasn't feel like it was just Jason Tatum up against the Nets. It felt like they were, well, one, the team was looking to get him the basketball, but it wasn't like he was forcing shots. He was getting to the line 
and was just extremely efficient. I mean, you look at the final quarter, five for eight, uh, 18 points and getting in the line eight times is just a, a damn good quarter. It didn't feel like well, kind of the bad isolation basketball we've seen in the past with this kind of this iteration of the Celtics team. And so um, I think if, if a team goes into a playoff series and says, let like, well, I'm, we're fine with having Jason Tatum score 30 shots. I feel like that's the downfall of that team. Like, I think that they're really going to try and force the ball out of Jason Tatum's hands and force the other guys to make plays. I don't know if he's going to get the opportunity to take 30 shots in the playoffs. And, and, and that's a growth is how does he do it for everybody else? You know, and I think, you know, listening to Marcus Smart, he was the one out there complaining about Tatum and Brown earlier this season, how they never passed. And, and now he's like, yeah, that dude's playing a lot smarter. <laughs> he's getting us all involved. And that's after a game in which he takes 50 shots. Um, so I, I do think Tatum has taken his game to another level and and the Celtics are really benefiting from that. And I, I think you see that, like, it's helping Al Horford get better shots and, and make a better percentage. He is shooting he's... ridiculous, or not ridiculous, but just, like, much improved from three. And I feel like a lot of that is just, like, his shots have been that much more open because people are taking a little bit more of steps just to try to slow Tatum in the paint. Yeah, and, and, and the other guys, like, there's more of a commitment team-wide to, to getting a better shot. Uh the, the Celtics are, it's funny because three games ago before they played, maybe it was two games ago before they played the, the Grizzlies, Al Horford kind of said, like, yeah, we don't need to gauge ourselves. Like, we're good guys. <laughs> and, and then he, immediately after that game, after they beat the Grizzlies, it was like, it was great to measure ourselves up against to grow one of the better teams in the league. He just completely lied to the media the first time. But I, I think, no, I think I think he was telling the truth. I think he actually believes in the progress that they've made and believes in their defense, which is now number one in the league, I think, if they still hold on to that spot after giving up however many points they gave against Brooklyn. Uh and and like this, they believe this is sustainable. And it wasn't just because it was against bad opponents that and now we've seen it. You know, they, they beat Atlanta. They gave up 33 points in the second half. They took it to the Grizzlies like that was a close game for a little while. But for the most part, if they didn't have some really bad turnovers in the first half, that might have been a blowout. And then, you know, Took took a great game from Kevin Durant on the chin, and and still beat the Nets with both KD and Kyrie Irving for I think just the fourth time this season. So it's it's been quite a stretch for the Celtics, and um, I do think Tatum's Tatum's play has a lot to do with that. His his on off numbers are just stupid over the last thirty games, which is almost half a season, you know, that's more than a third of the season. Um, they are outscoring teams by 17.4 points per hundred possessions with him on. Holy, the that's wild. And they are totally even zero net rating without him. So that's not too bad. <laughs> Feels like a pretty guy, good uh, and obviously yeah. part of that is he's part of a starting lineup that has crushed people, but basically whenever Tatum's on the court, Right now, the Celtics are just demolishing teams. He's playing great, great two-way basketball. And I agree that you probably, like, 
the starting lineup all was in double figures and the bench only scored quick math 14 points in that game and you're probably going to want a little just bit more contribution for um just coming from the bench i mean grant williams missed all his threes he kind of you expect him to be the best shooter in the league at this point, which is a wild thing to say, but I say that genuinely. Like, you expect Grant to make his threes, so you expect a little bit more offensive there. Derek White really only took three shots. Peyton Pritchard only took three shots. Um, but, you, like, I think maybe – I don't know if that's a really concern. It would just be like, it would be nice. But if you, like, look forward to the playoffs, their starting lineup, the one that is absolutely killing guys, is going to play – 35 minutes a game like 35 of the 13 and then the way you structure the subs like you're gonna have them like probably three of those players on the court and it feels like the bench you have faith in Grant Derek White Peyton Pritchard and Daniel Tice to all give you like solid minutes and for Tice he's like he proved in the playoff before Grant Williams is shooting well Derek White's probably your sixth man and wouldn't be surprised to see him get kind of the majority of the minutes getting to the playoffs. I think that was the question I was going to ask you next is after this win against the Grizzlies and against the Nets, has your expectations, not even expectations, but it's like what you think the ceiling for this season could be. Has that changed based on these last or this last week of, of games? No, not really. Uh, the Eastern conference is still going to be hell. And, it's but why can't like, it's going to be hell because someone's going to have to play the Celtics. Like this is what uh, I was talking about on the last podcast when your Wi-Fi didn't work. But it's like I think like they have emerged as like one of the teams, uh, one of the five teams that like could win the East. And I don't think I just thought they could win the East uh, probably as much as like a week and a half ago. I just didn't think it was possible. But I feel like they're playing so much more just better and efficient basketball and their defense is so good that now I think anything is potable. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. Well played, especially, you know, a a week before or less than a week before Kevin Garnett's retirement ceremony. What if I just ended the podcast there? (laughs) That would have been a premature way to end the podcast probably. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, do they have a non-zero chance to win the East? Sure. But like the Sixers are like James Harden and Joel Embiid are going to be really, really difficult to stop. Um, The Nets with Ben Simmons, you know, who, who knows what they'll look like with him, but that that's a, that's a huge piece for them that they haven't seen yet. And some of the teams in the East are just kind of an experiment. Like right now, they're they're just they don't know what they can be. They don't know who they are. They're just trying to figure things out. The Sixers and Nets come to mind the most. But then you have the Heat, who are extremely talented, extremely tough. So I I just think there are a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference with a chance. And are the Celtics one of those? Sure, but but you're going to have to be really freaking good for three straight series to win the East. The thing I like about the Celtics chances though, is that there's not a team out there that is like, Oh God, the Celtics can't play them. That's a horrible matchup. I think you, you immediately think that about Embiid just because he's giant, but with the Celtics having the best defense in the league and like the fact that they're able to, play the kind of heavy switching offense like 
I just think like maybe maybe the I just don't know like of course no one can really slow down MB, but it feels like out of anyone in the Eastern Conference, the Celtics have the best kind of track record with Al Horford of slowing him down. Same can be said about Giannis. I don't think that like they're you're not gonna like completely shut down Giannis, but it feels like having Al Horford on him and then having kind of weak side help with Robert Williams is a pretty good solution. There's no matchup out there that's like immediately screams like the Celtics are not going to be able to play this team close. And so I think the fact that they have such a good defense and the, which is able to keep them in games. And then you combine that with Jason Tatum, like where does he rank in terms of the best players in the Eastern conference right now? I think he's fourth behind, and this is not in order, but Giannis Embiid and Durant. Like I just Harden. I think he's better than James Harden right now just because what he's giving you defensively. And I think James Harden is like a half a step slower than he was when he was in Houston. I, uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm also incredible. I'm also incredibly biased. Like he, I could absolutely be wrong, (laughs) but But, I feel like, like just, just his ability to dominate on offense, what he, like what he did on Sunday in combination with the league's best defense feels like a winning formula, especially in the playoffs when things kind of slow down. Yeah. the defense, especially and the versatility of the defense and the intelligence of the defense. And, uh, you know, I, I think the IQ level that the Celtics have around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown now is, is much better than it was last season, much better than it was at the beginning of this season, you know, Emil Doga basically isn't playing anyone who doesn't think the game at a high level around those guys. He's is that why they United signed States. Sauce Castillo? Because he's a high-level thinker? <laughs> I think they signed him because he went bonkers in the G League. And so did, so did Isaiah, and they didn't sign Isaiah again. Same team. But same they, they, want, they want all, like, 6'7 shooters, you know, or 6'6 six, six shooters or whatever it is. And that's why they got Hauser. That's why they got Matty Fire. And, and that's why they got my man Nick Stauskas. But let's be honest, Ime Udoka plays eight guys normally. <laughs> None of those guys will touch the court. Um, the guys who do, Al Horford, great IQ at both ends of the court. Robert Williams is, is really growing in that regard. He's a, he's a really good passer, especially for someone with his athleticism and rim running ability. Like that combination is rare. Marcus Smart has been playing for the last two months. Like, just great basketball. Um, Derek White, bringing him off the bench rather than Dennis Schroeder or Josh Richard. Like, that's just a huge upgrade in IQ. Grant Williams, another guy who really thinks the game at a high level. So there, there's a lot of intelligence all of a sudden on this team. And I think Tatum and Brown being as willing as they have been to pass it and get off the ball and, and play off the ball sometimes, like, that's helped – set up those other guys to use their IQ. Like it's all working together right now for the Celtics in a way that it didn't come close to doing earlier in the season. The, the transfer, it it really is a wild transformation. Like I'm not sure I've, well, I I, I am sure that I've never covered a team (laughs) that, that transformed like this during the middle of a season from like they played puke-inducing basketball at the beginning of the season. Like, you you watched them, and, and, and you left. You felt sick to your stomach. You're like, these dudes just it, – it was horrible to watch. 
Um, Remember that game against Portland where they just like missed a shot for the final nine minutes of the game? Like that was wild. Yeah. And, and that was like semi regular in the fourth quarter, not to that extent, but they, they collapsed all the time. And for that team to go and now play such a really selfless brand of basketball lately has been stunning. And I think Udoka deserves a lot of credit because he never let the players off the hook. And before you know it, they were listening to him and they were improving in the ways he wanted them to improve. And now they're like just a lights out defense that has really, really improved defense or offensively. And I mean, the last two months, like it's not the same team. It's just not. They are a totally different basketball team than they were when they were 16 and 19 or 18 and 21 or whatever it was that they were. Like it, it's crazy that 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 group of basketball players played like they did earlier this season and now is playing like this. It's just, it really is wild. One of the things that's been pretty impressive about this win streak is just how the Celtics have reacted to runs by the other team. Cause we all know being basketball fans, that basketball is a game of runs, but uh, coming back 14 down to start the third quarter against the, Hawks. I think they did something similar against the Grizzlies. Against the Nets, it was the second quarter. They were just down five, and they immediately went on a run. I think in the third quarter, you mentioned the the Celtics were kind of down a decent amount, like eight or nine late in the quarter, and then Tatum kind of went back on that run. They've just reacted and responded to a way, um, you know, whether it's coming out of the quarter or coming out of timeouts, they just never really – like let themselves get out of games and they've always kind of maybe it's just I don't know what Ime has done uh clearly he's being Eastern Conference player of the month or coach of the month has uh helped out but uh just their their kind of response to to runs like that has just been I think the most impressive thing is because there's they I feel like they used to fall down 20 and then like spend all game trying to come back and then maybe get it and then maybe choke it away. They're just not getting down 20. They're not getting down 10 really at all. I mean, it happened against the the Hawks and they kind of had that shitty first half, but they immediately bounced back and we just didn't see them do that against two very strong opponents in the Grizzlies and Nets. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the ability to bend, but not break is I think it all comes down to belief. Like you, you could tell early in the season they weren't trusting what they were supposed to do. And I, I think a lot of their fourth quarter collapses came down to that. And and sometimes that was Tatum and Brown were supposed to pass and, and didn't do it. Sometimes it was, you know, you're supposed to run the play at the end. They, they wouldn't do it. Um, now they they seem to be trusting in what they're doing and and not settling like they are they are hunting for better shots and then defensively they're just playing at a totally different level i I think the like even as they were good early in the season they were top five but 
over the last two months, like that defense has been wow. So, yeah, it's, do you it's think just the, a different level of trust now, I think. Do you think the biggest and, reason and, for and, the trust – oh, go ahead. No, no, no. no. I, I was just saying, and, and maybe, like, playing so much bad competition in a row, like, really benefited them. Like, they just kicked the shit out of teams and were able hey, to – Hey, we're pretty good at basketball. <laughs> we're able to start seeing the success, and, and then all of a sudden it's like a snowball thing – and I, I don't know whether that's actually the case, but certainly, like, just beating the fuck out of bad teams, like, could, could probably help you believe a little bit. And then you get in a game with a good team, you get in a close fourth quarter, and because you've seen, you know, a bunch of wins the playing the way that they're supposed to, then that translates more often and in a better way to the end of the game. And I, also, obviously, health is a huge factor here, like, they got healthy and they're much better when they have everyone in the lineup. You know, they, they've, they've missed a, a few guys to games here and there, but it hasn't been like a, a long string of games where any of their key players has missed during this stretch. And, and I think that's, that's really important, especially when you're playing eight guys, sometimes eight and a half guys. Um, but normally just eight guys like, if you're missing one of those guys and you have to fill in with someone who's, who's doesn't deserve to be in that rotation, that, that could be a big downgrade. And I, I was wondering what they would have done if Jalen Brown had had to miss more time with Aaron Neesmith out, like would they just have played Grant Williams more at three? I don't know. <laughs> they could got, I mean, the, the three big is not a against... real big go to the end of the bench guy. And, and the end of the bench is like, really end of the bench now. They don't really have any guys with NBA experience back there except Nick Stauskas. Like it's he wanted to turn to Malik Fitz. Malik Fitz isn't getting minutes Malik right Fitz, then. Keelan Martin. Like uh yeah, like there's just not a lot of not a lot of options back there. I don't think Ime will get there unless he's absolutely forced to. How much do you think of the improvement and the kind of the trust and the the belief comes from the fact that Dennis Schroeder's not on the team. <laughs> I can't, like I, that was clearly that was clearly just a joke, but like as you were talking, part of me believed it. It was just like they have a lineup now where they don't have to turn to someone who's one bad defensively and two pounds the ball into the ground. And like I do think playing a bunch of terrible teams helps because you know they started this winning streak before they traded Dennis, but like they're certainly playing a type of basketball where every single person is locked into the, on the defensive end. There's no like lapses there and that every single person on the offensive end is kind of moving the basketball. So how much of it was uh, addition by subtraction, losing Dennis and Ennis Cantor? I don't, I mean, I think there's been a lot of progress that has nothing to do with those guys, but I, I, I do feel like for, you know, the, the beginning parts of the streak, it did seem like everyone else was getting on the same page and and Dennis just wasn't on that page. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and you could see in a lot of those games, like the stats for him, the plus minus stats, it was like the starters were killing it and then the bench would come in and things would not like totally fall apart, but just weren't living up to the same standard 
And now I feel like the Celtics have, um, you know, Derek White is just a good fit. He's someone who just by the the way that he is, is is going to do a lot of the things that that fit into the way they want to play. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't want to put a lot of it on, on Dennis because I think at the beginning of the season, like there were a lot of issues. And when Jalen Brown was out, like he helped keep them afloat during that stretch. But I do think as, as everyone else got on the same page, he just wasn't there. So it was good to get somebody else who was. Okay, that's fair. It probably was not nice of me to uh, be that mean to Dennis, but I thought it was a good bit. All right, we'll wrap it up here. Wait, did you <laughs> see the picture of when Jason Tatum, he did something ridiculous, and it's like the front row. He's walking back to the Celtics bench. Wick has his fans both in the air. Pags is going crazy. Everyone is screaming, hands up. And then Mike Gorman, who is not calling the game because it was on ABC, just sitting down, hat on, looking kind of like an undercover cop, just not impressed whatsoever. Did you see that picture? He's a journalist. <laughs> the man's a journalist. <laughs> oh, Mike Gorman doesn't root for the home team? <laughs> uh, no, well, you're not going to see Mike Gordon, Mike Gorman jumping up and down, doing jumping jacks and, and getting on the jumbotron. Like, you're going to see Mike Gorman focus. You're going to – I mean, give the guy credit. He was there. Somebody else had – was calling the game. It was, was it an ESPN game? Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. yeah. And so and he's there, he's there watching. He's there in the second or third row, wherever he is. Give that man his respect. Do the, 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 don't, don't make Gorman out to be the bad guy because he's a journalist, because he's I was a in, man, I, <laughs> a man with professional ethics. <laughs> that that is one of the more ridiculous defenses of Mike Gorman that um, I was just impressed by his stoicism. I was not taking a shot at the legend, um, but to call him a an objective journalist is uh, bending the truth in a way that I was not prepared for, Jay King. He, he, he holds himself to the highest journalistic ethic. <laughs> okay, okay, that is fair. Uh, the only other thing that has happened is Isaiah Thomas did get signed by the Charlotte Hornets. And Jay, I was just curious, is a power combination of uh, Isaiah Thomas and Nick Freeman, is that potable? <laughs> you and will I make it potable, potable, even if it's not. 